Praise the Lord. What a great message for us as we head into this week. I don't really know how it happened, but somehow the week year has flown by so that we're celebrating Thanksgiving this week. If you didn't know that, go and get ready. Um, I need that, know that means a lot of traveling for some of you and a lot of cooking for some of you and many of you abandoned diets this week and uh, you end up seeing folks you haven't seen in a long time and sometimes you think it could have gone a little bit longer, but that's just kind of what this week leads to. But I hope every one of you will take time this week to do exactly what this holiday is supposed to be about, which is to pause and thank God for all of his, the many blessings that you have, all of the great gifts that you've experienced. Uh, The the very first American Thanksgiving celebration took place in uh, Virginia in 1607, over 400 years ago. But our tradition, of course, is based on the pilgrims who in December 1621... As they approach winter, stop to express gratitude for God because of the abundance of the harvest. In fact, the written record of what they say in 1621 is, By the goodness of God, we are far from want. Doesn't that sound like a prayer that we could say today? By the goodness of God, we are far from want. Especially as you consider the magnitude of the want in our world. But yet... God has provided for me, and I know God has provided for you. We are far from want. Of course, since that time, Americans have paused to say thanks to God, a day of thanksgiving. I think President George Washington, the very first president, is also the one who announced the first thanksgiving for uh, the states. And then, of course, that continued up until today. But we have to say, being thankful is not an American virtue, right? Being thankful is a Christian virtue. In fact, it's a... um, uh, theme that's carried throughout the scriptures um, everywhere you look pretty much. In uh, Psalm 100 uh, verse 4 it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So from the very beginning we're to be praising God and then it says in the New Testament whenever Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 5 verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And then in Colossians he writes in verse 15 of chapter 3, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So gratitude is supposed to be the hallmark of the Christian life. We are to be a people known as those who are thankful. But gratitude does not come naturally. Have you noticed that? People are not naturally thankful. You really see this as you're raising kids, you know, and you think they feel entitled, not thankful. And so you'll work on that, even when they're young. Do you know what comes naturally? If it's not gratitude, what comes naturally? Grumbling. That's what we are so talented at doing without any sort of training, is how to grumble. We know how to do that. So I thought in order to replace grumbling with gratitude, we needed to set aside a day where we, do, we would do a little training on how to become thankful, or a training. We're starting today so that we'll be ready for Thursday, training to be thankful. So as you set aside your diets, and many of you set aside your exercise uh, regimes as we go into the holidays, I thought we'd pick up a little bit of spiritual training. And so the training for today is to learn how to be thankful. Now, I'm helping you out here. I don't know if you noticed, but in the bulletin, the notes page is blank. It's been blank for several weeks as we went through the biblical narrative series. But It's blank intentionally today because what I'm hopeful is that I know some of you get a little distracted as I'm up here talking. And as you're distracted, I'm going to go ahead and give you permission to uh, doodle on that page. 
But what I hope you'll do is that as we talk about thanksgiving and we talk about, talk about gratitude, I hope you'll start writing those things down on that paper that come to mind that you're thankful for. Because I know if you're like me, that that's just how it works. As you think of, hear this, you're like, I'm so thankful for that. Well, I want you to write it down because it just kind of pops in your mind. You don't do anything with it. But you need to go ahead and start your list. We sing a song that says, count your blessings, name them one by one. So let's just go ahead and start. And as I'm preaching, if the Lord distracts you, you just go ahead and write it down, what you're thankful for. It's okay. You'll be able to catch right up when you tune back in. But you, we're just going to start our list today. I start our list as we prepare for Thanksgiving of what it means to be grateful. This morning, we're going to be looking at just three verses from 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, this is near the, really the conclusion of uh, Paul's epistle to the church at Thessalonica. And he's been writing about conflict. Now, if you read through this letter, you realize the conflict is not in, as intense at this church as it was in some of the other churches. It almost seems tame compared to the others. But he's writing about that, and in verses 12 through 22 of chapter 5, Paul um, offers these exhortations of how to live in the fellowship, of how to survive in the church, the proper way to act, the proper way to interact. And most of the message deals with outward expressions, outward things that we do. But then you come to these three verses, verses 16 through 18, and really the focus changes a little bit. And Scholar says what's happening is he's focusing on inward expressions at this point. Now these three verses are really generic kind of Christian um, uh, characteristics or Christian counsel that could really apply to any church that Paul was writing to. So in other words, it's not applicable just there. It's applicable to you as well. It's applicable to you and to me. And so as we look at these three verses, I'm going to encourage you to think personally. It's so easy when you hear of a message to think of everybody else. But right now, I want you to hear the word of the Lord as if he's speaking it directly to you. In fact, as I read the passage, you might just insert your name right at the very beginning. And then when we come to verse 18, it says you. And instead of reading you, you just read your name right there in that spot. So look with me now. I'm going to read to you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And I'll start by saying, Wes, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for Wes in Christ Jesus. So the message is for you and the message is for me. In this text, Paul admonishes the Christians, specifically who are in Thessalonica, to rejoice always, to pray continuously, and to be thankful in everything. Well, as believers in Jesus, you and I have a responsibility to live a life that's filled with consistent joy and continuous prayer. And I think those two things have the ability to produce within us overflowing gratitude. So we're going to look first at verses 16 and then 17. But the bulk of the message is going to be on verse 18 as we deal with giving thanks. And so the first exhortation in verse 16 is to be joyful. He says, rejoice. Now, I said earlier that these um, uh, three verses really focus on inward expressions rather than outward expressions. But let's just be honest. If you do not have joy in your heart, the watching world can tell, right? Y'all can spot them from a mile away. You know the people that are walking in with joy and the people that are walking in will just say without joy. It might be something else entirely. But 
you know you have right now in your mind people that you think of that are joyless. In fact, if you gather with family on Thursday, you're probably going to uh, try to choose a specific seat so that you're seated with the joy crowd, right? And you'll let the joyless crowd sit over there. That way y'all can have a little fun rather than grumble over at the other table. But I want you to remember, this passage of Scripture is not written about them. It's written about you. Joy is a characteristic of a healthy Christian life. And the reason is because the source of joy is the Holy Spirit. That's where joy is to come from. In fact, joy tells us, I mean, Galatians tells us that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is alive in your life, one of the fruits that's going to come out and people are going to be able to tell the Holy Spirit is there is joy. Now that's a little bit different than what we think of when we, um, when we talk about joyous or joyful experiences. Because many of you will think about this coming week and you'll think about, um, you know, the people that you'll get to see on Thursday and that's bringing joy to your heart. My kids are excited because they get to wake up at their Mimi and Pop's house, you know, on Thanksgiving morning. And so that brings joy to you. Or you think about that turkey and sinking your teeth in that dressing and that gravy. Or, you know, the macaroni and cheese, the green beans, the, the sweet potato casserole, the pineapple casserole, the strawberry pretzel casserole, the broccoli ca Whatever it is that you like to eat casserole. You just are thinking about it, it's just making you happy. And the pecan pie, or for some of you, the pecan pie, the apple pie, the pumpkin pie. And it just, it's just making you happy just thinking about it. And you're like, I, I wish we could have a whole weekend of it. And then you remember, there's leftovers, you know. That's how it works. Just the thought of that produces within you what many people call joy. Well, this verse is not focused on the experience of joy. Because the scriptures tell us that true joy really comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit, not from good food. <laughs> In other words, those things can help us to experience joy, but they cannot make you joyful. And that's what this verse is focused on. It's not focused on the experience of joy. That's mostly what we think about when it comes to the issue of joy. It's that we want joyful or joyous experiences. The scripture is referring to the active expression of joy. We want to feel joyful, but God is commanding that we are to express joy. And now you might be thinking, okay, well, I got that one down, Wes. We, we, I can rejoice. You know, I, I'm good to go. Not too difficult. But, of course, we can't miss the modifier here in the Scripture. He says, rejoice always. Not just when things are going well. Not just when the turkey's just right or when your team's going to, you know, the national championship or when you have all your family there and everybody's safe. That's not what he's saying. He says, rejoice always. And I would tell you that Paul literally means that. He means that in every circumstance. And as you study Paul's life, you recognize, wow, that takes into account a whole lot of difficult experiences. To be joyful in all circumstances, I think, requires we shift our perspective. We have to shift the way that we see the world, that we see our lives. Because now, all of a sudden, we have to look differently at the world in front of us and think differently about the world that is to come. One is temporary, the other is eternal. So how can I be joyful always? Well, I think we have to believe the words of 2 Corinthians um, uh, verse four, verse, chapter 4, verse 17, where we read, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, 
far beyond all comparison. If you want to rejoice always, you have to understand that those things that you are going through that seem difficult, that seem unending, that somehow God is at work so that you know what is to come will just far outweigh anything that you experience here in this world. And so therefore, I can express joy when the experience I find myself is joyless. So to apply this first admonition to your life, I want you to shift your focus to what matters most. Put your eyes on Jesus. Recognize that Jesus is the one who's at work in my life. And whatever comes your way, it's not going to derail God's good plans for your life. It can't change that because God is in control. Then you remember that biblical joy is not about a happy experience. It is about an active expression of joy. So it's not that I just want to have a great experience. It's that I learn how to express joy no matter the circumstances. No matter what. Here's the bottom line of it. God expects you as his child to be joyful always, to rejoice always. The next admonition is verse 17. You are to pray. I am to pray. Now, once again, this is understood to be an inward expression, but I think it takes into account all of those outward expressions of prayer as well. So corporate prayer that we had together, public prayer, whatever it might be. And this is not surprising that God now has commanded us as his believers to be able to survive within the fellowship that we are to pray. Because prayer is the way that we communicate with our Heavenly Father. And you would imagine that people who are in relationship with the Heavenly Father are going to practice prayer. It typifies your life. Now we categorize certain people as prayer warriors. I do the same thing. I think of certain people and I think, you know, they are so faithful in prayer. But the expectation of God's word is that every single one of his children are known as people who are faithful in prayer. It should just be the same. And to make this clear, Paul um, modifies the admonition here by writing, pray without ceasing. Now, if he had only written rejoice, <clears throat> and if he had only written pray, then we would say, check, check, we're done with that, we're good to go. <clears throat> but we're told to rejoice always, and we're told to pray without ceasing. In other words, I am to live my life with an attitude of prayer in every moment and in every interaction. So the scripture here is not saying that we are to pray nonstop prayers. That's not what it's about, that we're just constantly just praying out loud or even inside these prayers that never end. Because some of you, you know, you'll get together on Thanksgiving, and it might be you, but there'll be somebody there who stands up to pray, and somebody will sit down because they'll think this is going to take a while, you know, because they just got to get everything in in that prayer. Well, that's not what he's talking about here. He's not saying pray long prayers. He's also not talking about praying repetitive uh, murmuring prayers over and over again like meditation. That's not what the verse is talking about. The verb tense helps us to understand that Paul means and God commands that you are to pray continuously occurring prayers. So in other words, there's a constantly a conversation with the Lord. We're to operate with this continuous or constant attitude of prayerfulness and the reverence before God. So here's the point. Since we're always in God's presence, then that means we are to constantly be expressing prayers of praise and prayers of petition. This attribute of God's omnipresence, that he is always with me, is kind of the, because he's everywhere, so he's with me now. That should inform how we pray. I don't have to go to church to pray. 
I don't have to be in a prayer closet to pray. I don't have to pull over to the side of the road so I can close my eyes to pray. Wherever we are and whatever we're doing, God's with us. So I can speak to him then. Now when we think of joy, we understand this, um, that we have this mistaken idea of joy based on circumstances. But I think prayer is the same way. Aren't you tempted to do the same thing with your prayer life? When things are going well, how's your prayer life? Or whenever things are just kind of normal, no ups, no downs, just kind of average, are you thinking about prayer? Are you engaging in prayer? If I'm honest with you this morning, I have to admit that my prayer life improves when things get difficult. I don't know if you're the same way. But when things get tough or whenever my family's going through a difficult circumstance, all of a sudden I end up having a stronger, much healthier prayer life. Here's the point. Circumstances should inform my prayers, but they should not control my prayer life. Because I should always be faithful to prayer. Because I'm praying without ceasing. This past week I walked out into the parking lot and my phone started ringing. So I pulled it out and it was Charlton Bazard, our organist. And I saw the phone and I answered it and I said, hello. And I don't hear anything back, so I say, Charlton, hello, and uh, nothing back. Then I hear muffled talking, you know. And I'm thinking, is he dropped the phone, or is he in danger? What's going on here? And so I'm, you know, hello, and then I look across the parking lot, and Charlton is engaged in a conversation, and his phone's in his pocket. He pocket called me, you know, and I can hear the conversation, so now I'm listening a little bit closer, you know. <laughs> but we all have that experience, right, where we call somebody, and all of a sudden, the line's left open, and you're thinking, oh, man, I hope they didn't hear me say such and such, right? Well, when it comes to our prayer life, God wants us to keep the line open. A state of continuous prayer. That's what he expects out of us. So our prayer life should always be consistent, not just in times of need. And we do that by keeping the line open in our prayers. A state of continuously occurring prayers. As I walk through life, I'm going through it with the Lord. As I wake up in the morning, I'm waking up with the Lord. As I'm getting ready, I'm thinking about that, and I'm praying about my day with the Lord. As I, you know, I'm driving in and I'm, you know, frustrated because of that, I'm in a conversation with God. When I'm dealing with a difficult person, God's involved in that conversation too. So I'm continuously praying. So the scripture says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. And you know who he means that for? You. You and me. We are to be always joyful unceasingly prayerful. Now, I think if you are always joyful and you are unceasingly prayerful, very often it will produce within you overflowing gratitude. And that brings us to verse 18 where we're going to focus the rest of the message. Verse 18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks. That song that the choir just sang, I mean, did it just not name everything? The reasons that I have to say thanks to God. Not because of, and then the song that Cheryl sang with the choir, not just because of what he's done, but because of who he is. There's some, what are you thankful for? I'm sure if you were to really reflect on it right now, you could probably think of a way that, a prayer that God answered in your life. Well, shouldn't you be thankful for that? Maybe you thought of being grateful today or being thankful to God because you recognize some people around you are throwing in the towel, but God continues to supply that hope that you need, and that's keeping you going forward. Or you can see God at work in the midst of your life because before you ask for something, all of a sudden it's provided, and you're thankful for that. Or maybe it's just having your family with you, or whatever it might be. The point is, we give thanks and the reason we give thanks is because we recognize there's a source 
of what we have received. Now, most Americans come to Thanksgiving and they're grateful and they're thankful. And you sometimes wonder, who are they thankful to? Is it just a generic thankfulness? As Christians, we are thankful because we recognize there's a source of what we've received. So I say thank you because I recognize that God, you have provided this for me. Once again, the challenge though is in the modifier, right? He says, give thanks in everything, or reverse of that, in everything, give thanks. Now, being thankful may not be the easiest thing, but I think that most of us could say, well, I try to generically live my life so that I'm a grateful person. You know, I, I, I try, and maybe you try to do that in your children or your grandchildren, raise them up to say thank you and to, to recognize that uh, they're not entitled to these things. But the scriptures, though, are very different here. They command us to give thanks even when we don't feel thankful. Now, let me clarify. I, we do not give thanks to God because of evil things that happen. And I think sometimes we get there and you think of the worst circumstance. You mean I'm supposed to give thanks because of that? No, but in the midst of evil, we can give thanks to God. Especially because we might see him at work in the middle of that. He might be pushing poor people towards him. He might be opening a window where all of a sudden somebody is open to the Lord. Sometimes in the midst of evil. So in the midst of evil, I can say thanks to God. But we're also to give thanks in the midst of just what would be difficult circumstances. And you think, well, how do we do that? The only way that I believe we can actually do that is if we believe or we trust in the sovereignty of God. We trust that God's in control, that he has not left the helm of the ship. So I can say, I can, you know, give thanks in this because I know he's still in charge. Maybe a good way to illustrate is Romans 8, verse 28. That says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. So because I recognize that, that God can cause anything and everything that I face to somehow bring about something in my life that's good, then in the midst of it, I can say thanks to God. Because I know he's in control, and whatever's come my way has not derailed him for his good plans in my life. And so I say, God, I say thanks to God in the middle of any situation. Now there's another important issue to consider. The scriptures characterize ingratitude or a lack of thankfulness as sin. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, it describes ungodliness. And one of the first steps towards ungodliness is being ungrateful. They did not acknowledge God, even though they knew him. They didn't say thanks to God. So those who ended up being the worst of the worst began by, with this attitude of ingratitude. Not only that, ingratitude is a form of theft. Because we take something that we feel like we're entitled to, so we don't say thank you. So it's like stealing whenever we don't say thanks to God. Because, well, I mean, this is mine. I mean, what, what do I need to say thanks for? When we live our lives as Christians without being grateful, we're stealing credit from God. Now, John Ortberg offers a proposition that I think applies here. He says, more gratitude will not come for more acquisitions, but for more awareness of God's presence and goodness. Let me repeat that in case you missed it. More gratitude will not come from more acquisitions, but from more awareness of God's presence and goodness. See, I think we are tempted to think 
that there is a correlation between what we receive, what we acquire, what we have, and how grateful we are. So the more I have, the more grateful I become. But that's not how it works. In fact, sometimes you see the opposite, right? Because maybe the more I acquire, the more entitled I feel. The point here, though, is that we become more grateful as we are more aware that God is present and God is good. And so because of that, it just fills me up with gratitude to him. The first thing I thought of when I read this verse in preparation for the sermon is the same thing I always think of when I read 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. And it's of Corey and Betsy Tinboom, who are described in the hiding place as courageous and compassionate Dutch Christians who helped to harbor Jews from the Nazis in Holland during World War II. So they were caught from doing that, and they were arrested, and they were eventually sent to uh, the Ravensbrück concentration camp. And they were shown to the barracks where they were to stay, and when they go into the barracks, they are, there are platforms that are just stacked on top of each other, and so close that you had to walk single file to get through. There are women everywhere, it's just piled with people. And on top of those platforms, they've scattered rancid straw. And so to lay down is just nauseating because of what's there. And so here they are in the midst of this barracks. And as Corey laid down, she started up, banged her head on the platform above her and because something bit her leg. And it was fleas. And she starts to wail at her sister, Betsy, this place is swarming with fleas. How can we live in a place like this? So Betsy, who's just an incredible, inspiring believer, says, show us, show us how. And it's in an attitude of prayer that she says this. And then she finally exclaims, Corey, he's given us the answer. Before we ask, just like he always does, this morning in our Bible study, he answered the question before we even knew to ask it. So Corey pulls out the Bible that she smuggled into the, uh, uh, into the concentration camp. In a pouch there, she opens it up to 1 Thessalonians 5, where they had been reading that morning. They read through it, then they come to verse 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And Betsy shouts, that's it. That's it. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about these barracks. And then they went through and they prayed a prayer of thankful, thanksgiving for everything in this Horrible environment. They thank God that they're together because they could have been split up. They thank God that they were able to smuggle the scriptures in because they have it to depend on. And then they thank God that there's so many women there because they'll have opportunity to speak to them. And then they're thankful that they're piled on top of one another because they'll be able to hear us. And then all of a sudden, Betsy says, and God, we thank you for the fleas. And Corey just rebukes her. She says, that's, that's crazy. We are not thankful for the fleas. And Betsy said, it doesn't say in the scriptures in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. So these two women in this concentration camp, they pray to God and they say, thank you, God, for the fleas. Though on that occasion, Corey thought Betsy was absurd to pray this. If we wait for everything to be perfect to say thank you, we will always be waiting. What we do instead is we see God as being with us. We see God as always being good, and we choose to be grateful in all circumstances. See, we're not just overcomers in our bad circumstances. It's not just that we conquer the bad things that we face. 
In fact, Romans 8 speaks to this whole thing to remind us about our relationship to troubles in life. In verse 35 of Romans 8, it says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Will concentration camps or fleas? Will a lack of the scriptures? Will the fact that I lost my job, my family's not with me, I'm frustrated, will that separate me from the love of Christ? Verse 36, just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Most of your versions say we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We don't just conquer. We're more than that. To do more than conquer, what does that mean? It it means that our circumstances not only are in submission to us, but now serve us. They serve God's good purpose in my life. I have more than conquered, so now the troubles I face are serving me. They are bringing about good in my life. You know what the end of the Ten Booms prayers of thanksgiving for the fleas was? Weeks later, they realized why they should be thankful for the fleas. It's because uh, the guard, they, never, they had, were able to have uninterrupted Bible study without the guards coming in for weeks and weeks because the guards knew there were fleas in there, and they said, we're not going in there. And so they continue to worship there because of the fleas. Well, they are more than conquerors, right? Gratitude is really about our perception for the good. You know, we see and recognize the good in our lives, and we say thank you for it. And it's connected to a tiny Latin word that's a root word that I thought I would just share with you this morning because I think this kind of has a key for us. And it's a a, a, the root word is bene, B-E-N-E, and it means good. Gratitude requires three bennies. First is benefit, which means a good state of being or a good gift. <clears throat> we, are, we perceive there are benefits in our life, and they come from the Lord. The scriptures speak of this in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. So I'm grateful because ultimately I recognize I've received a gift. The second Benny is benefactor, which is one who does good. There's a benefactor at work in my life, and we discover The good in my life is not by accident, but it's by design. God's good intentions towards me. And there's a benefit from a benefactor. And the third benefit is beneficiary, the one who receives the good. Well, that's you. You receive the good. You're the beneficiary of these benefits. As believers, we are to always be joyful, unceasingly prayerful, and grateful in everything. And Paul concludes these admonitions with a reminder that these commands are God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God commands you to be joyful, prayerful, and grateful. Now, your circumstances may stink right now, but when they do, let me tell you, you can put your attention on the greatest gift you could receive, which is the gift of Jesus. If you've never received Jesus, let me tell you, it's the best thing, the best gift you can receive, because he takes all of your failures, and he gives you all of his righteousness. He gives you the hope of eternal life rather than the reality of eternal punishment. If if you receive Jesus, if not, would you respond to him today? Now, I'm going to conclude by saying this. The benefit a beneficiary receives from a benefactor ought to produce one more benefit, which is the benediction, a good word. And I want to encourage you this week to just write out your own benedictions, your own praise to God. And you know, a traditional way of doing that is people would say, blessed are you, O Lord, who, and then they just fill in the blank, who redeems me, 
who heals all my diseases, who saves my soul. And you might fill in the blank there as well in your own life. And so I thought to close, you might just reflect over maybe the things you've written down on the bulletin or the things in your head. And maybe you might just say, blessed are you, O Lord, who, and then just fill it in. So we're going to take a moment to, to close. And as we close, I want us to just, everybody around, just to pray, whisper prayers of thanksgiving to God. And then I'll close us in a moment. You go ahead and pray. Father, we say thank you, and if we never had another, if we had all the world, words in the world, we could never complete the praise that's in our heart for the good things you've done for us. God, we thank you for the benefit of knowing you. We thank you that you direct your good towards us. And God, even now, we repent for our ungratefulness, our ingratitude, and we say to you, God, continue to form within us a heart of gratitude. Now, Lord, as we come to this time of response, as people have decisions to make, or maybe it's just from their own seat, Lord, we pray that you would have, you would have total sway over their lives and over my life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are going to have an invitation. Some of you might need to respond to that gospel message. Some of you might need to respond to the invitation to join the church, to take a next step in believer's baptism. So we're going to make sure we have a time of response. I'll be down front. God's speaking to your heart and you want to respond, you come forward, you stand. So our choir sings, you respond. seated. We have new member presentation.